WSQF, Key Biscayne, Miami Beach, and Miami. Blink Radio. This is Mac on the Rock. We have begun our Concrete Conservative Hour. As you can see, I'm, as Election Day gets closer and closer, you're hearing more of me than you've ever heard of me before. Normally, I'm on Monday and Wednesday. Then I had some health issues, and therefore, I wanted to expand my programming. And uh, I've been uh, slow to recover from this. But as you can see, as I get closer and closer, the dystopia is developing. Everything the Demokamis have asked for and warned us about. Since 2016, they're, they're bringing it to us. They're trying to blame everybody but themselves for what we see in the streets. The riots in the streets, the looting in the streets, the mail-in balloting, taking advantage of the coronavirus. What were they doing during the coronavirus? The Wuhan flu from China? They were impeaching the president. What, as if the enemies don't see that as well? They see America imploding from within. We didn't do this to Barack Obama. It's just the way it is. Our enemies are communists. Communists don't think like you and I. You think they care in a bioterror situation? Do you think they care if one or two million of their old folks pass away who are unproductive? They don't have welfare for these people. You know, it's just, I mean, think about that. This, this is real, man. We've been talking about this in South Florida, about American communism sticking its ugly head again. Remember, in the 50s, it was out front and personal. There was actually an American Communist Party. And the days of, of Sal Alinsky were real. So don't pretend, America, like this isn't... This is happening for the first time. American communism has been alive and well for a long time. It just manifests itself differently as the generations grow into a system. You're going to tell me that there hasn't been American communists educating us at the university and high school level for quite some time now? I mean, come on. There have been communist presidential candidates in this country that actually got 4 5 6% of the national vote in this country. So when... The Concrete Conservatives talks about American communism. You can say all you want about, you know, I'm conspiratorial, I'm inventing, I'm a, I'm a radical. Uh, say whatever you want in order to disparage, deny, denigrate what it is true. That the United States government is the third largest economy in the world. Right after Chinese economy. The American government by itself is the third largest economy in the world. Anybody who wants to expand that, promote that, and make that number one in your life over community, organizations, church, family, God, and dad in the home is a democracy, plain and simple. So today, I have this big concern about the mail-in balloting. As your president's expressed, the mail system can't afford to have triple the amount of mail-in ballots coming into their Post offices, it seems like the whole Democratic Party's in the basement, not just Joe Biden. I mean, how many ballots are going to be down there anyway in the basement? There's a lot of small towns. There's a lot of small towns within big cities that could easily hide and destroy and just throw out ballots. Say that they were faulty ballots. Say there will be an excuse. Oh, we thought, we thought, hey— 
investigations start. This is a crisis here in America. I mean, mail-in ballot is just, I mean, Jimmy Carter said it himself, that it's prone to scam. It's just that simple. Come on, man. You don't have to be a complete freak to understand that, uh, you know, you I don't have to be a weirdo to understand that there's going to be a scam in the voting system. I'm praying every day as a Republican that Trump wins in a landslide, but you're already hearing the murmurs out there on the Internet that if Trump wins in a landslide, a week later they're going to announce that, hey, after counting the mail-in ballots in, in key battleground states, Trump is now in a virtual tie with Joe Biden on the popular vote. Stay tuned. Another week goes by. Dick Morris has a post recently. Dick Morris, it was uh, Bill Clinton's political analyst who went went to the right a little bit during the Bush administration, uh, was not a defender of Obama, kind of had a moment, you know, uh, let's call it a senior moment, but he had a moment where he realized, and most people do when they get older in age, that adherence to the Democratic Party becomes troublesome as you have kids and grandkids and you become older and you realize government's not the answer for anything. And now you're seeing the only thing government was the answer for, law and order, you're finding it imploding in democratic cities under liberal leadership. You rationalize, denigrate, disparage, deny what people like me say. I'm only this way because I was raised in an anti-communist household. And I feel like Hey, this is real. Communism sucks. Any form of it sucks. And if you don't see it for what it is, it will overrun you. I'm sure Cubans at one time in the heyday when they were, you know, enjoying the latest and the greatest Ford Mobile, automobile, Chrysler, living the vida loca. They never thought there would be a communist revolution that would take their country and they would have to one million of them have to flee over time, and yet it happened. Remember, it's only a million. The rest are offspring. A million immigrants fled from Cuba during Castro's revolution, came to Miami. After that, trickles of 25,000 a year since wet foot, dry foot. Let's add another 25,000 in illegal Cubans who get dry footed. So maybe 50,000, maybe. I've come since 1994, I believe it was, when wet foot, dry foot, 94, 96, uh, excuse me if I'm wrong, I have my senior moments too. So I'm hoping that I get a call today from someone from the Trump campaign who wants to discuss the the sparing reality of how they're going to deal with the mail-in ballots. I'm hoping that uh, I made this arrangement a, a while back and... You know, I really don't know if the call is going to be made or not, but I'm hoping that I get a call in. And uh, it's got to be pretty interesting how they're going to do it. I mean, Alyssa Specht is her name. She's an attorney and, and she's the head of Election Day operations in Florida. I'd like to know what, she, what Alyssa thinks about what I've just said, how she's going to mitigate it, what should we do as volunteers to watch the polling, to volunteer at polling places. Obviously, in my case, I would like to volunteer in, in places that really need me, like the hood, where a lot of people 
unsuspecting Democrats are going to vote for Trump. I'd like to see how that's going to play itself out. What role can I play as a volunteer? Does the party arrange that I go to these polling places as, you know, poll watchers? Or do I go down to the elections office and learn about the role I should play and see if that's the that's the process? Those are the questions we're going to ask Ms. Spector today. Hopefully I get a call. I expect her call within the first half hour of this show. Then at, a, at the 7 o'clock hour for the Village Council elections, I'm going to start sharing radio time with different candidates. And they're just going to discuss what they, what they plan to offer our village in exchange for our vote. Today, we're going to have a Ray Raimundo. And uh, let's see uh, what he has to say. I don't know Ray personally. Uh, we've done some church functions together. We've cooperated uh, in the mass retreats, so our men's ministry. But I personally haven't had interactions with him. I was part of his team and people who were playing the uh, retreats, and I just participated and do whatever volunteer work I'm, I'm asked. So I don't know him personally. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him at 7 o'clock. But right now, I'm really concerned about dystopia, the dystopia I wrote about in my book called The Fiscals. And I write about a world that's kind of uh, kind of in disarray in this country. Um, I didn't really describe it as a lack of lawlessness, lawlessness, but I definitely described it as the progressive virus. I believe that liberals have a you know a psychological scratched hard drive, and it's more of a computer virus, not a biological one. So it really doesn't have a cure, but it needs to be firewalled. So I put that word in the Urban Dictionary, and it got accepted. It's floating out there. You can Google progressivevirus.com. You'll get the chapter in my book where I describe it. But if you search it on Urban Dictionary, you'll get its definition. And hopefully one day it'll be on Webster's Dictionary because the progressive movement over 100 years has created a dysfunction of psychological attitude philosophical attitude that really requires the adherence to uh, an unanswered grievance. You adhere to it knowing there has no solution. There's nothing government can do. There's nothing society can do. Only you and your offspring, your children, can wean itself off a progressive virus and realize the world around you has commercial ties to it, propaganda ties to it, real development ties to it and people continuously having to raise their level of their game, increase their skill set of themselves and their children to survive in a much more modern world that requires less people for it to function. Think about that. Population of the world keeps on increasing. The land remains the same. And within the system of bringing products to market, food on the table, Crops to grow requires less human input. Gone are the days of bare bones, knuckles to build a home. Now, homes and warehouses and buildings are going up by tilt wall construction, literally panels arriving in the neighborhood, and two- and three-story homes are being built as panels are put together. And eventually, there'll be modular homes will be mainstream, meaning all built up by cranes. So if you're unskilled... And you took the drugs young 
uh, you were violent as a kid and you don't develop your skills, imagine what kind of crappy dad, crappy adult you're going to be by the time you're 30 and 40. To the point where you're saying to yourself, well, I'm going to get 100 bucks with Antifa and they're going to pay me cash. All I got to do is take this pallet of rocks to this corner and for the next three or four weeks, I can just launch bottles, stones with a mask on and create ruckus and I just keep on getting paid. Think about that. Think about the massive movement that's out there. And the average person saying, you know what, it's not in my town, I could care less. Well, that's how all these movements start. It's not in my town, I can care less. Before you know it, you lose your country. People are already flocking to Florida because New York's a mess. People can't be flocking to California because of problems in Washington State, in Portland, in Seattle, in Oregon. They can't because they go to California, it's just as messy over there. But in the end... A government sustained, an economy sustained on government spending is a false economy. It's a big lie. And right now, Donald J. Trump is participating in this big lie. He's issuing these stimulus checks. He bought into stimulating the economy. Why? Because the Democrats knew he would, because it's an election year. And if you don't think the intellects of this country in the relationships with the WHO, World Trade Organization, with embassies, direct State Department officials, with direct State Department officials and other embassies aren't communicating with the Chinese government. And in some, I don't know, I don't say it's a conspiracy, but there's some kind of symbiosis how this all happened all at once against an American president that affects all the economies of the world. It shows you how large... The economic ecosystem is of the United States. I'm not kidding when I say, if I were to ask you, what's the largest economy in the world? You would tell me the United States. If I asked a China man, he would say the Chinese economy. Well, estimates are all, all abound. You know, they're everywhere. So I'm going to put the number at $21 trillion. You're free to debate me and call it less or more. Same with the Chinese economy. It's 17 million. So U.S. is 21, and the Chinese are 17. Who's number three? Well, most people say Japan at 6 trillion. Well, some people say India, 5 trillion. Well, 38% of the $22 trillion economy is the U.S. government spending, procurement, land, assets, payroll, Taxes, repetitive purchasing, and buying you know, books and paper and pencils and paper shredders and desks and chairs for multiple departments. They shut down departments and the chairs stay. We've got warehouses full of Humvees, Jeeps, rockets, planes, old tanks. The value of these things that could be, I don't know, repaired and sold to allies, oh, that's money is around $9 trillion, making it 2 to $3 trillion larger than Japan. Hello? You're going to tell me that will ever, 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 ever reduce the size of the federal government? No way. Hell, the Republican Party, who I support and I have adhered all my votes to, I don't think I've ever voted for a Democrat in any state 
or federal election? Here locally in the island of Key Biscayne, perhaps. Maybe they were independents, you know, I didn't ask. But for you not to realize that that both parties literally aim, in one way or another, to take over 70% of what you earn in your lifetime in one form of tax or another, city, state, government, county, federal, toll, sales tax, you name it, they're taxing you. You add up all those taxes throughout your course of your life because you're also paying when your child has to pay those taxes too because when you buy your child a pamper, you got to pay a sales tax, but the pamper's for the child. So the child has to be paid for too. When you think of all these taxes you're constantly paying, think about it. Mao Zedong said it was 70% of your lifetime earnings by force. I say right here, right now, I've said it before and I said it in my book, that the United States does the same via the vote by expanding government. All those, all those monies that are going out to feed the unskilled, the, those who feel like they now sh- should get reparations. Imagine socialized medicine, which is pretty socialized as we, as we speak. Imagine that your taxes going back up, back up, back up to the post-World War II levels of 72%. Think about that. Tax can always go up. But I want to say about the Republican Party is they created the largest department in federal government history. So they can't really say small government, low taxes is what they stand for. I disparage that in the book. They got to stop talking that because they created the Department of Homeland Security. It's basically that. So I don't know what to say other than what I've already said. I don't know what more to say. You're seeing it on TV. I remember telling a friend of mine recently who insists on living up in Rochester. And I told her weeks ago, get the hell out of Rochester. It's a dump. It's a New York dump. But it's so far away from Manhattan, she would say, I was raised here. I have friends here. And he goes, your friends are not worth it. You're struggling to find a job. There's a lot of pulling of cultures up there. There's all types of... Uh, New Yorkers, far and wide, seeking the the employment dollar that's just not around. And she, being older in age, are going to be the last on the totem pole to get the job. Well, she got a couple jobs here and there and there. Lo and behold, lo and behold, the riot, the looting, the Antifa shows up at Rochester. Why they pick Rochester? I have no idea. And now the entire police force retired today. They called it retiring. They, call, they say they retired. The mayor doesn't know who's in charge now. Well, she's a liberal too. After a while, man, cops just stop wanting to be cops. I mean, it's there's a political bipolarity that I call a progressive virus where they drive down the, they make life so expensive with their regulations and their unanswered grievances that are supposed to be mitigated by the government. The cost of living goes up. And when the cost of living goes up, who's the one that's going to have a smaller family? The person paying for the cost of living increase. The upper and middle classes of this country. They start having two kids. And instead of five. Guess what? You drive down the birth rate of the very group of people who are likely to pay for your welfare programs into the future. 
That's politically bipolar, man. That's psychological damage, psychological, politically psychological hard drive. To always have an unanswered agreement that spreads down to your children because they hear it at the dining room table. And you think the government should pay for that? You know what that really means? Is that your parents who teach you these things really aren't donating. They're really not contributing to their church. They want government to meet, meet the difference. Well, guess what? There is no difference. You want government to pay for the poor so you don't have to. And the studies have shown that conservatives contribute a lot more than Democrats do. And I really don't like to call you guys Democrats because that, that refers to a time when you claim to be fighting for the common man. Well, those days never really existed. You were as socialistic in the 30s as you were in the 40s and as you were in the 50s. And in the, in the 1900s, 1910s, up to the 20s, you were living the Vila Loca where everybody was a progressive. Everybody was looking for government to take care of them. And then the war started, and War I came, which was probably one of the most stupider ones, and then World War II, and we were like uh, participants in it. And then we submerged ourselves kind of after the fact, because Americans take a lot more credit about winning World War II than they really deserve, because who won those, war- who won those wars? Who won World War II and won? The Russians in both cases. The communists and they were allies of ours. Why did they win it? Because they were there. They were there. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of millions of Russians died for really peculiar reasons that, that nobody really wants to talk about these days. But Stalin beat Hitler, period. We came, we did mop-up duty, and we lost thousands of people like to close the deal. But after we closed the deal, we did it of patriotism and honor to our allies, I definitely, since I've never fought in a war, I've never participated in a draft, I'm not one to criticize, unlike the fake media criticizing the president about dodging the war and disparaging soldiers, which there's no proof of that. The only thing there is proof of is that he he didn't, uh, you know, he, he dodged the war. He dodged Vietnam. That's We know that to be true. I think he understands that too. So... What I wanted to say is that when we did the Marshall Plan, we basically disarmed Europe, and Europe was more than happy to accept whatever, uh, you know, whatever criteria we put on the Marshall Plan. We sold war bonds and made money on that war like it was going out of style, and imposed our version of free market capitalism on Europe in order to resurrect and rebuild the European economy after the war. And we also allowed a church tax to be charged, the Vatican accepted, in order to get their, their blown-out buildings back. So, you know, there's still communist countries now in Europe, full-fledged communist countries like Belarus, just now tr- trying to get the shackles off their feet. How much time has passed for there still to be full-blood communism right in the center of Europe? I mean, come on. So it's this situation where what becomes of the United States if our the usual suspects in Europe have already accepted socialism? It only makes sense that socialism would come to the United States. You already heard Biden ads about 
universal health care. You knew that was coming after the failure of Obamacare. In fact, you knew when it was coming when Obamacare was proposed, that the Republicans weren't going to allow it to, to pass with their votes in any form other than what was passed with the Democrat votes because they had filibuster-proof sentence. How many times do you hear that, that people say, oh, but the one... When the Republicans had control of government, when did the government, when was the government in control by the Democrats? When was the government in control by the Republicans? If I were to ask you here on WSQF 94.5 Blink Radio, Kibis Kane, how many filibuster-proof Senates? 60 senators. At one time it was 51, but including 51. How many times has the Democratic Party have had filibuster-proof Senates? Since 1911. I use that number 11 because that was the last time the Republicans had one. Right before income tax. They put their foot in their mouth. They pushed income tax, some people say, as a bluff. Some people say as a, as a gimme for Theodore Roosevelt from, from the 1912 election when he split the party in half and lost to Woodrow Wilson. What did Woodrow Wilson do? Hey, suckers, I'm going to pass the income tax and it's going to be your fault when it blows up in our face. And it did. Created deficit spending as soon as it went from 1% to what it is today, 27%, dropped down to 21, up to 35, 37, post-war up to 72. I'm sure there's some megalobillionaires in the 40s that were probably paying 90. But the minute you taxed people's labor, their wages, you've committed a felony against the American people because your wages was private property as determined by the Supreme Court. And I believe it was an 1896 case. And yet, with a filibuster-proof Senate, the Democrats were able to marshal it through with the protest of eight states that were counted as approving the joint resolution of Congress that was sent to them. Yet, those eight states and others have manually changed the language of these joint resolutions, either because they were planning to question the U.S. Congress about them, because some people said, wait a minute, you're including income as wage and wage as income. They're one and the same when they should have been separate. And guess what? The Department of State, Secretary of State Philander Cox, sorry, Philander Knox, stated flat out, that's announced it as a passage while they were questioning their passage. If it's wages, we, we say no. If it's just income, which is risk capital, which I believe you can tax because I'm risking it. And if I'm risking it in an investment of a business or a stock, I'm taking into account that I'm going to be using or I'm going to be depending on public infrastructure to generate profits. You know, if I'm, if I'm a egg company, for example, I'm dependent on the highway system without potholes, the port, the port to ship my eggs and the police and army security of the nation as a whole from the federal level. If I'm going to go abroad, then I'm going to be dependent on battleships out there to preserve my shipping lanes. Although that's probably not the case in the egg business. I probably should have used another example for exporting. But if I manufacture a car here in the United States and I put it on a, on a boat to Latin America, I fully expected the boat to arrive at its destination and I get paid on the bill of laden. 
Well, for that boat to arrive without fear of piracy and being sunken or raided on the way, I have to assure that the United States government is out there protecting the shipping lanes. That's something the Americans take for granted. The whole world does, actually. To feed the world, you can imagine, to feed the world, how present the United States government has to be out in the big seas, all of them. You remember when there was an attack on Somalia? There weren't any American forces out there. They had handed that over to the British. And sure enough, piracy ensued. Don't ever take that for granted. The world feeds on not only American agriculture, but also feeds on American security. Out there in the in the middle of, I wish I could use a profane word, bump, Egypt, where those battleships are floating out there, fully with their full gas tanks, securing the, the free practice of trade worldwide, from Australia all the way to the Middle East, all the way to the Far East. We're out there. And our AWACS planes are flying above, monitoring it all. And you don't hear about piracy of cargo ships, of ships full of Toyotas and Hondas coming to the port in San Diego. They arrive on time. You know, you don't hear about these things. Well, you're going to invest in companies that depend on that military, on that security, then of course you can tax it. Same when you invest in a company here, you, you know. You benefit from the highway system. You benefit from these things. So, of course, you can be taxed it. But you and me sweating and punching in and out and punching the clock? Ah. Ah. I'm sorry, man. It's one of those things that uh, just should have never been. Just should have never been. They should have never been able to tax wages, period. I think once you earn it, your blood, sweat, and tears to earn it cannot be returned to you. Therefore, if you invest your money, it's yours to be taxed when you invested it. But if you're just paying your bills with it, mortgage payments, real estate tax, putting food on the table for your children, from your blood, sweat, and tears, from punching in and punching out, it's your natural skill and health and well-being to get to work on time. That's uniquely yours. It's your skill set that has your boss paying you. He can't return it to you. That nine to five is gone forever. The overtime is gone forever. You know, the, the, the damage to your back, your mind, and your head over hours of laboring in factories out in the fields as an auto mechanic behind a register at a retail store waiting tables. Come on, man. That's private property. That's, those are your wages. But since the Democratic Party had 11 filibuster-proof Senate since 1911 and the Republican parties have had zero this nation is the Democomi nation. The United States is a country designed by its statists, by its socialists, which are the Democratic Party, the Mule Party. Just pulling plows, not thinking about the ramifications of all their cases. Defunding the police at a time of crime and rioting. And forcing us to adhere to science on the subject matter of global warming and climate change, but ignoring the science in the development of a child in the womb. That's politically bipolar. If there was climate change, for instance, to change the subject, and all the, all the studies that are done about climate change are all done based on gases in our atmosphere and the sun being shielded by these gases, 
But why don't they calculate the millions of miles closer the sun is to the earth in July than it is in January? Millions of miles. How come they can't calculate in their climate change studies the mass, the size, the enormity of the sun itself and the sunspots in the thousands, sometimes as little as the lower thousands, sometimes up to 50,000 sunspots exploding off its surface, gases, gaseous surface of the sun. The sun is known to be anywhere from 100% of its size to 60% of its size over the course of human history. And you can't really study it because you can't get that close to it. Think about those things when you're being lied to about climate change. All that stuff can be read on the reinvention of the United States called the Fiscos. You can go to my site as I punch out for a second, thefiscals.com, and enjoy it for free now. It's about 400 pages, but it's broken down in chapters. Each chapter is a site. Check it out. And uh, I'm still crossing my fingers that Alyssa Speck is going to call me from the Trump campaign. Let's see what happens. And anyway, take care, my friends. All well. Fleetwood Mac. About the shape I'm in, I can't sing, I ain't pretty, and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you, I might not give the answers that you want me to. Talk to God, I knew he'd understand. He said, stick by me and I'll be your garden hand. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to.
I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. You know what? I don't know what to say other than to let you guys know that if you're a liberal and you're out there with your Biden-Harris signs, it's really because you dislike Trump. You're like, you know, like if he's coming over for dinner or something. Think about it. You guys are all intelligent as all hell. I have plenty of Democrats that are acquaintances. Maybe we like each other more than we than we admit. But come on, man, you've gotten everything you wanted since your childhood. Every freaking thing from a social economic policy standpoint, the Democratic Party has succeeded. Rightfully so. They deserve it. They have succeeded at passing by law. It's their school system. It's their social security system. It's their internal revenue service. Wars have been fought by Republicans and Democrats alike because our enemies don't seem to care who's in power. They'll just, you know, they'll calm themselves down a little bit in terms of where they provoke war when the Republicans are in power. But as you can see, September 11th was full-out war, and that happened under Bush's watch. Full-out war under Woodrow Wilson's watch. Full-out war under FDR's watch. Full-out war, stupid war during LBJ's watch. Obama just watched. So Democrats are pretty much can honestly say they screwed this up big time and generationally because you guys have just screwed it up generationally. I mean, complete demo-communism. We're in deficit because of you guys. You own us. It's been your Congress, 11 filibuster-proof Senates. You've controlled Congress at 20-year intervals. Both houses, with few exceptions. If you look at the graph, just go Google Images, Democratic majorities, and there'll be a colored graphs, several of them. Take your pick. You'll see the dominance of the expansion of the federal government. And if you guys are politically bipolar, I'll have something to say about Republicans too. Republicans have political Stockholm syndrome. They're just as as fault of being in the minority as you guys are in the majority. We have completely floundered in the minority. We just kept on our stupidity for the longest time. Anti-immigrant, illegal immigrant, legal immigration, which are rightfully so politically, but wrongfully so at the electoral box. Can't win elections hating the largest group of citizens, the fastest growing group of citizens in the United States, Hispanics. I know this to be true without a doubt. Because as an American Cuban born in the United States in 1964, I watched how our 4% population of Hispanics was completely ignored about what's happening today. We've been talking about American communism, American statism, that it's kind of like uh, a softball communism because it doesn't have the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It doesn't have this full immersion and acceptance by the military, which one day would be. There's come, there's going to come a day where three or four generals of the highest order in our Defense Department 
decides to impose martial law because things of like we're seeing today, looting, rioting, and bedlam get out of control, and Democrats are controlling more states than they are today, and the federal government just says, you know what, martial law. And two or three generals run this like a junta, like they did in Argentina, where they had a military junta for a while. That's only one or two generations away. Call me crazy. I'll be 68 years old, 70 years old, sitting in a chair saying, I told you so. We've been talking about this since the 70s. I grew up hearing that banter and voicing it by the 80s. As soon as I had the right to vote, I was anti-communist publicly. I had my opinions among my friends, da 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 But as soon as I had to vote? Come on, man. I was so damn anti-communist. I remember uh, one summer I spent it in Hong Kong with the Montalbano family. William Montalbano was an editor of the Miami Herald. He was establishing the Miami Herald's press office in Hong Kong. And uh, he was a proponent. Uh, he was a Democrat, but at the time he was uh, enjoying Arthur Anderson. Uh, maybe I got that wrong. Uh, Anderson for, for president. <laughs> Excuse me if it's not Arthur. Arthur, I think, is a financial firm. <laughs> but anyway, Anderson for president, an independent, against Jimmy Carter and uh, Ronald Reagan. And uh, I remember the stuff. He's passed away. Rest in peace, Mr. Montalbano. Uh, that that summer with you in Hong Kong was really beneficial to me, not only linguistically, because you taught me how to write, but you taught me to really stand for my positions. And I would, I would stand for my positions at the table. And as an adult, he was pretty patient with me, considering I was a young punk, 14, 15, I think I was 15 years old having these strong opinions about communism. But guess what? As time went by, I was right. Look at Hong Kong today. Look at Hong Kong today. Judeo-Christian society established by British colonial rule just handed over to communists. Shame on the British. Shame on the Portuguese. They did the same with Macau. And you thought that the communists were going to respect law and order over there? As soon as they started waving flags upon... Donald Trump's presidency, they clamped down. Remember, they're the banking, they're the banking center. They're the freaking banking center of the, the Far East. It's Hong Kong and Taiwan that are handling our wire transfers to do business in China. Imagine people, American bankers, Anglo bankers, or British bankers fleeing Hong Kong right now because they just can't do business. They don't know when they're going to be arrested. Half of the companies that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange that are from the Far East, half of them don't adhere to our auditing rules in order to be listed in the New York Stock Exchange. That's a major benefit to the market. Sorry, a major benefit to their markets. And that all is exposed now. The cheating is now out from under the sheets. That smell, that gas is now out from under the sheets. The honeymoon is over. The bedroom, the romance is gone. And now Hong Kong is going to be destitute, just enveloped. And when I was in Hong Kong, I always had a a sense of feeling it was an island because it was, but if there's a way of, there's a landmass, there's a way of, of uh, entering mainland China through Hong Kong. 
And you didn't get that feeling when you were a young kid floating out there. You really thought you were surrounded by water all the way around. I remember traveling hours in one direction to go to Macau. It was one hour ride, I believe, maybe two hours. Then I'm in a Portuguese island. I thought it was really cool. There was no casinos like there are there today. I said this before when I mentioned the Macau casinos. Do you know that what's traded on the Macau's casinos, on their lobbies per se, their casino floors, the amount of money that's traded on a given day in all the casinos in Macau is equal to all the cash that you and I take out of our ATM machines in the United States on all ATMs. Imagine the flow of cash that come out of those casinos two of which are American-owned. I believe Mr. Adelson, who passed away, owns one of them, who was a supporter of Newt Gingrich for president. I remember Mr. Adelson. And in the Romney campaign, by the way, in 2012, the, probably the biggest disaster, electoral disaster in American history, how one guy just dropped the ball in Benghazi and allowed Barack Obama to serve his second term with four million less votes than he got the first term. That's the real mess in this country. If you think this election's important, I know that I changed the subject pretty quickly. Re-electing Barack Obama was a bigger disaster than Trump losing. I, I believe if Trump loses now, it, it's definitely worse. I'm not saying that, but that was the most pivotal election against the United States. The sovereignty, liberty, and morals and Judeo-Christian values, the few that we had left that we're gripping on, was disguised by the ideal of reelecting an, uh, an African American president of mixed race, which you thought would have calmed us. In other words, it would spiritually, it would, would spiritually heal us by those actions at the ballot box became a disaster, a complete reflux of those sediments today. That's why I find it so disingenuous by the Democratic Party to to incite condone what's going on today just for the sake of taking Donald Trump out? I mean, really? I got to put on my Trump signs on palm trees because your kids will take the signs. That means you taught them that way. It's your banter. It's what's discussed in your schools. Believe me, I've gone head-to-head with public school systems, so I know how communistic, socialistic, statist the public school system is. And I have Republicans, like, supporting the public school system. You understand that? They won't even listen to the reinvention of the public school system. You can also go that. It's a chapter in my book, parentguardianshipschool.com. So I'm down to, like, seven minutes of, of this show. I'm feeling a little bit better about my physical state. So I hope to slowly and surely do what I've always wanted to do when I started this uh, programming here on WSQF 94.5, Blink Radio, Key can was to go every week, not necessarily political every week, but at least go every day of the week, not as a concrete conservative every day, but a square footer one day, you know, mantra, Manny another day, and then, of course, back on the rock when I go politics. Mac means, Mac, my initials. On the rock means, keep a scan. It's a parochial term for those who were born and raised here. 
In my case, I was just raised here. I wasn't born here. Came here in the fifth grade, but you know, considering I don't leave the bridge much, I don't cross into Miami these days, I'm definitely on the rock. You can also go to my website. You want to see peculiar stuff. Sometime I'm just commenting on the radio, watching the television, and commenting out loud, you know, voicing my concerns over, you know, fake news and stuff like that. Plus the 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 bizarre things that happen to me or, or the rich things that happen to me, emotionally rich things. Like recently, you can go to a post on the Mac on the Rock rampage on YouTube and you'll check out a, a recent uh a, you know, Francis of Assisi moment. In this case, it's Francis Mac on the Rock moment. Assisi. Check it out. 40, 45, 50 seconds, you see what happened to me uh, Saturday morning for the second time. I think you'll enjoy it. Mac on the Rock Rampage, the most recent link there. And uh, it's my dolphin project. I, those people who were raised out in the on, on the island before me know what the Dolphin Project was all about when the Miami Sea Aquarium was training dolphins in my neighborhood. My enclave where I was raised is like a small island apart from the island of Key Biscayne by a very small bridge called Mashta Island. And there, there was a project called the Dolphin Project. And it was there was a lagoon. It was an empty property that was originally owned by uh, the Matheson family who built uh, something called the Mashta Place. It was a, a very large home, Turkish-styled home out in the point with a crab claw geographic design about it. So it had a lagoon in the si- inside. And it was left uh, unattended for decades after, I believe it was Hurricane Betsy that knocked down the home there. But before it was, an, uh, before it was knocked down as a mansion, as a home, it was served as a Key Biscayne church. I believe it was the community's church, or I'm not so sure if it was the Catholic church, but perhaps it was. Someone got to remind me of the details of that, but it definitely was a church given to the people of Kibiskane for a moment. And then I think Betsy came and knocked it down, and it was left unattended for decades afterwards. And I moved in in 75 so I could walk down my seawall, because I live on the ocean, walk down my seawall, and I would find dolphins in the lagoon there. So as I got more and more familiar with watching them and seeing them, I learned to mimic the noises I would hear, mostly from the Flipper Show. And I would call out to them, and I would get responses from them as a kid. So I could get them to come to the shore or to the seawall or to the wall of the lagoon. Eventually, I would dive in there as a young kid, and I... You know, with my mask and snorkel and uh, swim around and got acclimated to my neighborhood. Well, lo and behold, all these years later, I'm back in that home. It was a childhood home. So I returned to take care of my mom with Alzheimer's. And uh, I started making this noise again as I saw dolphins at a distance. And uh, they would approach my seawall just from so far away. And uh, the video speaks for itself. So that's the perfect segue to Dire Straits, so far away. Be back in a moment with Council Candidate Raimundo. Stay free, my friends. Take care. (laughs) 